Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Have you ever thought I'm an imposter? That maybe I wasn't meant to do this. Maybe if somebody finds out who I really am, they won't appreciate me or admire me or want me. Being a writer is like having imposter syndrome attached to you at all times. Letting it go is a big part of becoming an author. Today's show, I show up as an imposter. I feel like it's so easy for me to be on this microphone and tell you all what to do or to interview others. But today, I'm going to podcast interviewed by Steve Benoit. He's going to ask me about my current book that I've been working on, what it's like, and to kind of uncover what happens behind the scene with me, this author, the one you hear from but don't hear about. It's a vulnerable moment for me. We have a lot of fun, and I can't wait for you to understand how powerful it can be when you look inside what it takes to be an author. We talk about my fiction book that I wrote in the month of November. We talk about the nonfiction book I'm writing alongside this book. And what it's like to kind of balance between the two. I hope you enjoy this and listen in on what happens to authors who interview authors. Welcome back to another episode of Author Suli. I know it's really awesome hearing you say that. <laughs> uh, I'm Muscle Taronas. Normally I'm the host, but today Steve's I'm the your, host. I'm your host. This is Steve Vinoy. Steve and I are both partners in this Author Suli journey, and we're the co founders. And we often don't get on this podcast together. In fact, I don't know that we've ever done this. And I know I've never been interviewed by you here. And the purpose of our interview today is, as soon as I'm going to turn this over to Steve, because he's going to be the host, is he's going to talk a little bit about why we're here, what we're going to do. And I wanted to kind of be on the other side, where I'm the one being asked lots of questions, which makes me nervous and also gets me excited. So since you're the host, Steve, I will turn it over to you. Well, I was just thinking I'm here with my esteemed colleague. This is the event I've waited my whole year for. <laughs> um, That's right. I don't, I don't know why we don't do this more often. I'm not sure why I haven't interviewed you before and kind of flipped things around. I think it's exciting because everyone gets to hear you go behind the scenes with authors and hear about their journeys. But what if the tables turn? What if we get to hear a little bit from you today as well? I think that would be exciting. That would be so cool. I know for me, I get, I get a sneak peek. I think it's great. That's right. So let's dive in. Fire away with any things you want to know, and I'll just be here as your guest. Well, I know one thing behind the scenes that's happening. It's, it's uh, the month of November, NaNoWriMo, if that's how you pronounce it. We never seem to get it right. <laughs> I think that's right. That's how I've been saying it. I know you've talked about it before on the show. You're typically talking to authors who are either writing or have written nonfiction books, with the exception, of course, of Heather Lee Dyer and a few of the other guests you've, you've had on the show. Heather Lee Dyer is one of our... Well, she's our lead author success coach, leading groups of cohorts of people, individuals who are writing their books, working together through that process. What's it like as well being the architect behind the program? And I know you and I both worked on that, but being outside of it and from a coaching perspective, 
trying to work your way through writing a book, actually writing two books. So if you want to tell us about the two books you're working on. Yeah. Well, what it's like being behind the scenes, it's a little surreal because something that both you and I envisioned and created that guides people through this process at first seemed like, well, how's anyone else going to do this stuff? Because it's non-traditional. It's not what everyone expects. It's definitely a journey. People have had said a lot of words about what this program feels like. It's yes, they have a manuscript at the end, but they also feel like it's a transformation. So watching someone else like Heather lead them and them have the same results and sometimes even better than the ones that I facilitated is pretty inspiring and encouraging. But what is it like on this end? Um, well, I've been working as national write a novel in a month, which is NaNoWriMo. And what that is, is that you write for 30 days to complete your novel of a minimum of 50,000 words in that 30 days. And most people don't know about the length of books. They think of how many pages is it. But really, books are measured in the publishing industry by words. So even though you might have a book that has the same amount of page numbers, they might have wildly different page, uh, sorry, word counts. Well, 50,000 words is not a really long novel. It's a pretty short one, um, but it's a good start. It's where I'm aiming for, and maybe I'll take more. So I've been writing every day. We're on day 10. So I've written close to 15,000 words so far in nine days, which is amazing because my first book was only like 26,000. So getting to 50,000 with a book like this fiction book is pretty interesting. Um, and you mentioned that I'm writing two books. So I've never written a fiction book before. So now I can say I'm a novelist because I am writing a novel with you. And the thing about it is we've talked a little bit about this. We built this whole book around the interviews we've done with your father and about his life. Uh, being 84, he has a lot of life to share. <laughs> and <laughs> he would tell us, hey, let me tell you one. And for a while, I thought that's the name of the book is let me tell you one. But what we realized it's that this book is about, for me and you, is, is writing this coming of age story about somebody who doesn't feel like they belong in the place that they're at and longs for something bigger and adventure, which is something exciting. I feel like that's super exciting. And that's really what I'm looking to do is figure out how to tell that story well. So creating process is one. The other book that I'm working on is what, based on the TED talk I gave, What Makes a Good Teacher Great. And the book is called Great Teachers Eat Apples. And that has been a struggle, Steve. I've been really struggling with that book. You know this for almost four years. I've tried multiple times to write it and I just had so much resistance, doubt, fear that this is not going to be any good. And so I relate a lot to our clients. But yeah, that's where I'm at. So I'm editing that book. I still have several chapters to write of that book. So it's not done, finalized. So I'm kind of nervous that I'm leaving one book hanging while starting another one. But it's actually motivating me to keep writing and finish both books So by the end of the year. So that's exciting for me. Well, and I'm really curious about, I mean, you kind of jumped directly from fiction to nonfiction and talked about the struggle there. It, there's something in your voice that even shifted a little bit. Like you had this excitement talking about the fiction book and you mentioned my dad, my dad, Smokey, who adores you. And just to give a little more insight into how those, I call them interviews because he started a pattern of, or a habit, I guess, whenever I would talk to him and my mom, because, you know, I usually face, I'm FaceTiming them so we can see each other. We've been doing that for years since you and I moved to China. And of course, we moved back since then and all around the world and we're able to see them because they have an iPad. And so oftentimes what happens if you're not around and I'm talking to him and my mom, the one of the first questions is, 
where's Azul? <laughs> where's Azul? <laughs> and eventually, you know, you either you either show up and you're part of the conversation, or at some point, my dad will say, "Hey, go get Azul. I got to tell him one. I need to tell him one." So um, it's been a lot of fun watching that happen. He has been telling you one and telling me one, sharing stories from his childhood, from his teenage years, and into his early adulthood about all these adventures he had. So what a, just a wonderful honor and legacy piece to him that you initiated because you said, hey, I want to write a book. Steve, I think we could do this. So one, that's super cool. And two, so that's more of a statement than a question. But the question would be, you mentioned you're kind of afraid of letting the other book hang, the nonfiction book, which is built around your TED Talk, which is amassed close to 3 million views, I want to say, 2.7, 2.8. That's huge. And you did that talk just a few years ago. Tell me, one, just remind, uh, remind me and the viewers how you came about to, to be the person to give that talk. Because I know it's about the unique perspective that you hold. But how did that also come about? Why did... what? series of events led up to that. I love that you said viewers. So if you're viewing this, this is awesome because it's a podcast, <laughs> but also maybe we will put it on the video. You never know. So yeah, so that TED Talk, essentially in October, marked the seventh year since I wrote a book. And that book is what changed everything for us in some regards or for me. And the other half was what you traveling the world. And that, that shift really allowed me to have confidence that what I have to say actually matters. and. Becoming an author actually gave me a whole new world of opportunity to talk to people because people saw me differently. They didn't see me as a teacher or a principal or even a professor. They, being an author has a different sort of notoriety or appreciation for you know someone who's an author. And with that, I got introduced to now a dear friend named Charlie Hohen. And in the book, Art of Apprenticeship, I say one of the strategies you can use to grow your authority and influence and find someone to mentor you is to one, pay for access to them. And two, go to the person who's second in command because they'll teach you a lot. They'll know just as much, if not more, about how everything works. And they're happy to share because they're usually not in the spotlight. That's how I met Charlie, joined one of his programs, coaching programs that again was a big stretch. And that book was what I needed for him to give me introduction to the organizer of the TEDx that I spoke at. So what happened is I did a quick interview with this guy named uh, Freddie Gimbera in Dominican Republic while we were living in Shanghai and said, Hey, Charlie said you wrote a book and have some ideas about what you might talk about. Let's talk. Well, I had no idea that this idea of these responses to the question of what makes a good teacher great that I've asked kids over the years, the 26,000 responses I collected for 24 years in eight different schools and inner city schools in LA, suburban schools in Texas, and also in elite schools abroad. And that was really intriguing to him. So he says, why don't you talk about that? So I did. And I had previously tried to write a book proposal for that idea when Dan Rohn, who is the New York Times bestselling author of Back of the Napkin, met with me at a conference and we chatted about this book idea. And he told me, that's an amazing idea. That's a best-selling book. I think you should write it. And I think I should introduce it to my agent, which sounded amazing. I mean, here I am wishing I could get, even know an agent. Now I know a New York Times bestselling author, one who offers me his agent, and then tells me he thinks it's going to be a bestselling book. And he's represented by the same person who Austin Kleel, the Steal Like an Artist. So I started to panic and I got sick to my stomach. I got excited, but I started to write. 
And I wrote what I felt like was just garbage. I, I couldn't write what I really wanted to say. And what I realized over the years as I wrestled with the manuscript, sent it off to an editor and they're like, this isn't much of anything, was that my unique perspective was what was, what was the reason I was collecting these responses for all these years? And what did I notice now? And once I figured out my unique idea was that my whole point of me talking about this was not to say how great I was, but the fact that I was never really listening to kids in the way I should have. Once I understood that, then it started to open up my mind about what could happen. And, and it was really you to help me see that I needed some sort of system or way to teach people what this is that I did and how I started to use what kids said. And you're the one that gave me the idea for the Be Wild kind of notion, which is how the book is organized around not following traditional patterns of like becoming a good teacher, but following what kids say. So that's a long-winded answer, but I feel like it really made me struggle when someone put expectations on me. And then I assumed those expectations on myself because now I had this expectation it had to be good instead of just enjoying the book, enjoying the fun illustrations that go in it. And I, I created my own block that has taken me years to get out of. I'm finally almost through it. When the book's done, I'll definitely feel like I'm through it. But yeah, that's the gist. Thanks, Azul. You said something that's very humbling, I think, that I don't want to pass by, which was you discovered in questioning what was it that you were keeping or recording all of these responses from the kids, you know, collecting them. What did you notice? What did you discover? But you said you weren't listening. At some point along the way, that was your transformation or something that a lot of, probably a lot of educators would not readily admit. So, of course I listen. Yeah, I'm always listening to the kids. Oh, I listen to everything they say, you know, but that's not what you said. You said what I discovered was I wasn't listening. Tell me a little bit more about, so you have that. And then you also had this incredible opportunity, which when you described it, you know, talking to an agent, talking, you know, getting this connection that you got would be like a dream come true for most of the clients or most of the authors that we get to work with. But you've been down that path where then you modified what you were intending to write and what you were wanting to write and excited about to now trying to appease the masses. Let's write something that's going to be a bestseller. Talk a little bit about that, about conforming to that idea versus reclaiming. It seems like maybe the I'm leading into what I'm wanting to hear about is how did you reclaim your ownership of the book that you want to write? And, you know, you said leave it hanging earlier, but really you're, you're recapturing it. So, and at the same time, writing a fiction book. So how does that not compete with your bandwidth? Is it two different parts of your brain? Tell me a little bit about how all this is working. Well, to go back to the original thing you mentioned, which is I allowed somebody else's expectation, even though they're noble. This is going to be good. In fact, it's going to be great. Not only is it going to be great, it's a best-selling book. So from someone who's a New York Times best-selling author, that is a lot of pressure. And one of our clients, Ali Abdal, taught me this is that, you know, you, you really mess up your productivity and your ability to create when you focus on things that are outside of your control. And that's what I was doing, which is whether or not I become a bestseller has nothing to do with me. I can't control that. I'm not in charge of the lists. I am not charged, uh, you know, I, I can't buy the books. Someone else, people have to buy it. So that's out of my control. What isn't in my control is writing 500 words a day or editing, you know, a chapter today. That's in my control. So once I started shifting that, I realized there's nothing to do. There's no perfectionistic belief. 
and I am a perfectionist. I just don't call myself that because I don't feel like I'm ever going to be good enough to be a perfectionist. So it's sort of like, but I don't like to do things that I don't think are going to go well. I don't think anybody really does, but I am a keen of being messy. So I was like, just be messy. So that's what the shift is. And honestly, I don't know. I know New York Times bestselling book. I just want to enjoy the book and let it help lots of people who want to be a great teacher. And honor the kids that served me for those years I was in the classroom and in their schools leading them. How do I do it when I'm doing two books at once? Definitely two parts of my brain. Fiction is a very creative process. I'm not thinking about structure and, you know, in that way. So I'm what people call a pantser when it comes to writing novel, which means I have very loose structure. I know the major characters. I know the the major incidents. I don't know what's going to happen. I let the character's behavior dictate what happens. And their character evolves during time, which is good because it needs to, but I'm learning about that. And it's fun. It's new. You're writing dialogue. You're creating imaginary things. Everything is made up. So you're, it's all creative. The other one I feel like is less creative. I'm not inventing something. I'm trying to capture my understanding from something that occurred. So it's a little different part. So I don't find them competing at all. When you said bandwidth, it's not that I don't have bandwidth. I just have to schedule time because 500 words a day on nonfiction book is fairly easy. It's 20 minutes of my time. 1,700 words on the fiction book is about an hour of my time. So, you know, roughly it's 90 minutes a day. It's not that much. It's only when you think it's a lot (laughs) that you start to get overwhelmed. It really isn't any different than any task you normally would do throughout a day. Uh, You probably do so many things that you're just an autopilot. You just don't realize that this is 20 minutes, is 90 minutes. So that's how I kind of deal with it. And I know that um, for a lot of people, that seems insane. It's a little bit insane, but it feels good to be making progress towards both. Yeah. How exciting. So this is actually, this is your first fiction novel that you're working on. Right. Yeah. I've never attempted it. And I know for those of you listening, Steve is the co-author. So what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and he's probably wondering the same thing at times is that we've talked, we did all the interviews with our dad together. We pulled out little themes, noticed things. And then there's times where I interviewed Smokey without Steve because he wanted that. And I got a sense of who he was and like that was helpful. But Steve. Steve and I work best when I usually do the first pass at, at writing. I'm kind of sloppy. I'm not great at grammar or spelling. <laughs> it's ironic. I'm the book coach helping all of you write books. <laughs> I was an English teacher, but it's just part of my dyslexia. It's just not easy. And it would take a lot of time if I worried about those things. Um, great, great that there's programs like Grammarly, which is a program that helps check grammar, not just spelling. But with fiction, you get you need the right cadence. You need the right tonalities of characters. You need... In this case, it's set in the 1950s, and it's set in Appalachia in a small, little mining community called Cinder Bottom. And so the the language is not there. The feel of the place is not there. I'm putting my best foot forward because I don't want to stop and go research. This is the biggest problem with people. You get stuck in research mode. There's one thing, one day, yesterday, I had to do some research because I was like, oh, I'm putting a historical event here. I can't make this up. Like You can't (laughs) make up historical events unless you put it in an alternate universe. So I needed to know actually how to word something and what could have potentially have happened, though the event was fictitious, this this moment in history wasn't. So I was able to do that and quickly with about five minutes and that felt good. So Steve's going to pick up where I left off and start to read, improve the writing, ask me questions, and then also help the characters have the nuance they need so they sound like they're from a small Appalachian town. So they sound like they're from West Virginia. That's right. <laughs> and it's a unique accent that I cannot write. <laughs> so and, I left and the, I, 
Oh, I just say that in honesty. Uh, that's where I grew up, and both of my grandparents were coal miners. My dad kind of broke away from the family tradition and did not want to be a coal miner. But anyway, yeah. So it's exciting. I can't wait to do this process with you. Yeah. Well, we're going to report back. This is not going to be our only solo episode. Actually, we're going to have Steve on here and I'll interview him about his book writing process. Because I want you all to know those are writing, though I talk about writing this book in 30 days, there is it's so much of a challenge to get to the mental space to be able to do that. And we're going to talk about those blocks. What do you do about them? And how do you, how do you actually move forward if you feel like there's nothing inside of you to say, or you feel like who's going to read this or will this be any good? All those things that I feel are probably things you feel if you're listening. So that's really all we have time for today. But I want you to join us in to, when we talk more about when, when the novel goes to Steve's hands and he starts editing, I want you to hear what does he say? What does he think? <laughs> It'd be a whole nother experience because he might, you know, I'm trying not to think about what he thinks about it because then I get in my head, but he'll do his own revision because it is a, it is a co-authored book. So I'm super excited about that. Steve, thanks for having yeah. know, my show. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we'd love to have you back as well, but you know, you'll be back. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to come back and let's continue this conversation. So I great. That too. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, and if you're thinking about writing a book, you know what's coming up really soon is we're going to be starting something really exciting here coming up in the new year. We're looking for people just like you who want to write books, who aren't sure where they want to start. Maybe they have an idea or maybe they started. They just need to know what the next steps are. It's a special community we're building that we want to invite people just like you who are able to come in and get the help they need and connect with other would-be authors, new authors, and existing authors to learn from behind the scenes, how to get your book written from idea to publish. So you'll look, look on authorsrelead.com for more information in the coming weeks. And uh, I appreciate you listening in. And thank you, Steve, for being the host today. Yeah, thank you as well. Appreciate you all so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. We appreciate you being here and we hope you subscribe so you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.